Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and usually it takes me like 15 tries to do the intro, but I'm going to try to do this one all in one take. This chat is with Laura Tafaridis, who is a super stellar expert stop motion animator, but she didn't always start out that way. In our chat, she's going to share how she went from a runner working on Chuck Steele to doing everything she possibly could to become a full-time animator, and then how she actually became a full-time animator, and then went on to animate films like Early Man, Isle of Dogs, Netflix's Love Death Robots, and Robin Robin, and the New Zealand TV series Kiri and Lou. But first, I have a sponsored message to share with you, and it comes from my friends over at Hue, the makers of colorful, affordable USB cameras and animation software for creative teaching, work, and play. Available from HueHD.com and Amazon, the new HueHD Pro camera features 1080p image and video resolution, a built-in microphone, and LED lights. Hue's funky, flexible, plug-and-play cameras are easy to use, and they're compatible with any app that recognizes USB cameras, including Discord, DragonFrame, OBS, Twitch, Google Meet, Zoom, and many more. In fact, if you go to YouTube right now and watch my interview with Laura, I am actually using a Hue camera as my webcam, so you can see what it's like firsthand, and let me tell you, it is so easy, and I love it. Now, visit HueHD.com for information, for more information, and follow at HueCameras on Instagram or Twitter for news, freebies, and giveaways. So please go check them out. I've included all these links in the description of my chat. And make sure you give them some love because they've given me so much love by being long-term sponsors of this podcast. Now, let's jump into the chat. And yes, this was just one take. Hi, Laura. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the chat. Uh, hey, and thank also, you for having me. Yeah, and you're in New Zealand and I'm in Toronto. So you're from tomorrow and I'm from yesterday. How does... <laughs> yeah, we're time traveling. You know, I'm getting used to it. <laughs> How is tomorrow? Did anything happen that I should be aware of? Uh, it's sunny. Um, it smells like magnolias and we've played some video games. So there's no like, you know, huge wave of lava on the horizon. I think you'll be okay. All right, good. I like yeah. I like the magnolia smell. Also, sorry, <laughs> I just have to ask, you're wearing a, you're wearing a scarf. <laughs> yeah is it not hot in new zealand right now uh we're kind of coming into spring but it's kind of like it's like full spring like before actual spring so it's actually kind of cold outside but yeah and Wait, i'm so, just a very cold so person. it's your winter right now or like almost it, it had yeah so it's just completely flipped from the northern hemisphere yeah, we're like which hitting... was a terrible idea because i moved here in april so i'd come out of like all the way through like terrible winter in the uk and lockdown and then moved here in april just for another winter so oh, oh my god goodness. so i've had like yeah. a full year of like squatting over plug in heaters right now why did you move I'm keen for summer why did you move from the uk to new zealand uh, i moved here for a job so i'm working on a kids tv show called kiri and lou and Cute. uh yeah it's based in christchurch new zealand how uh so you're from the uk mm -hmm. uh england yeah from wales wales okay so wales. how often are you how often are you moving for work like in stop motion or just in general um i mean it kind of depends on the job but like that's part of what attracted me to stop motion like for some reason like some people it uh, comes out of nowhere and they're like oh damn I didn't realize that I had to move whereas like for me I was like yes I really want to move to to go and work on things but quite often my jobs are in Bristol they have been in Cardiff so both UK based but I have worked on stop motion short film 
in China. So that was for two months uh, in 2019. So that was kind of nuts. That was really fun. What? We so you like, had to move for two months to China and then move Yeah. Back. How does it, how do you even yeah. do that? Like, I'm assuming you don't speak any of the language. Does no. the studio help you move there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we were actually working at a university and there's not really much uh, stop motion in China. And so they wanted to kind of learn those skills. So we were meant to be teaching the teachers and then the teachers teach the students oh, to kind what? of try and get an industry going there. So it was it was really fun. It was kind of kind of crazy. And, um, you know, we had a good time. Uh, it was in Changchun, which is like really far north. It's for the northern Beijing. And it's like two hours drive from the North Korean border. So it's a very crazy like kind of frontier town <laughs> oh wow so wait yeah. so a university in china was like we specifically want to develop more stop motion nationally mm -hmm. really interesting so they, yeah. so they they saw some like demand or need for stop motion so they brought you guys there so you you taught yeah. the teachers how to animate in stop motion and then for two months and then left yeah, yeah. So we were meant to be there for the entirety of the production, but for timing reasons, that didn't work out. But so in order to kind of teach them, it wasn't just like going in and doing lessons. We were actually working on a short film all together. Oh. And so we were like building puppets predominantly. Um, and some of my other friends there, so Jenny Kidd, who also works in the UK, she was there uh, heading up the art department. Um, and so there are a few of us there just, um, yeah, and my other friend, uh, Vicky who was doing the costumes. And so kind of like learning through doing rather than like theoretical stuff, it doesn't really work with stop motion, you know? It's like, okay, yeah. how do we glue the things together? Why isn't the mold working? You know, just all totally. the very practical stuff. Yeah, can you imagine yeah. just putting together a PowerPoint presentation and being like, this is what you oh, do. God. So, so you're <laughs> sitting in you're sitting in Wales or somewhere in the UK. And then suddenly mm -hmm. you get an email being like, hey, Laura, would you like to come to China for two yeah. months? And yeah. like, who's, who's calling you? Like your friend? Like. A, st a studio you work with just like the <laughs> professor in China <laughs> uh weirdly just a message through LinkedIn um and I know some people have like a bit of a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn but you know I've had kind of a couple of jobs come through there and um it was a guy who was working over there producing it so his name is Luke Dutongi and um he had been working in Poland previous to that as the producer uh, at a studio called Semaphore so, you didn't, have so any, yeah. you didn't have any connection with this guy no, no, he was just looking through LinkedIn for people who were kind of able and willing to move there, I think. And then, you know, you don't just say like, okay, yeah, sure. Like without checking someone out. So like, you know, you message around and ask people like, you know, is this person legit? Is this gig legit? You know, and ask a few friends. So are you, they knew so him like, and I found out that my other friends were already there. And so that gave me the confidence to move there knowing that my friends were already there. Okay. Okay. So are yeah. you, so you mentioned like LinkedIn has worked for you before and I, you have a, crazy extensive LinkedIn profile like every like I kept clicking like more and more and more to just see and you have like every job you've listed which is which is like amazing so are you like yeah. actively using LinkedIn to like post your work and get stuff going and, and whatnot I, I don't really use like the post function I know people quite often post like a, almost like a Facebook feed of, of their work I, I mostly do that stuff on Instagram but I keep my jobs updated on LinkedIn kind of for my own reference because otherwise I would just forget like because so many of them are freelance jobs that last like a month or two and then you know if you're doing for instance a visa application to come to a different country so I've just had to renew my visa here and they ask you please write in every job you've ever had and the dates of those jobs and you're like oh my god 
<laughs> can I just send you my CV because this is a nightmare so you you sit there and you copy paste everything from LinkedIn but if I didn't have that I'd just be like oh. I don't know man so yeah. it's just it's quite useful for that as well boring adding reasons okay so well, I feel like I'm just like going in random turns with these questions why don't we so let's go back let's dial it back you're working on Kiri and you right now tell me about that so Kiri and Lou is a kids TV show. So they're kind of five minute episodes and they are available in Canada actually. So you should watch them. Um, and they're also in Australia, New Zealand and the UK on the kind of on-demand services there. And they're like, theoretically they're, they're preschool and they're for kids but like they're so wholesome. Like I, I binge watched the entire first series that was on iPlayer because it was like, it was in the middle of lockdown and there was just like too much real life happening all around me. And then you get to go into this like magical forest of really weird animals. Like, but it's, it stops short of being like saccharine. Like I'm not, I'm not a huge, huge fan of kids TV, which might be a weird thing to say at this point, but <laughs> like, you know, the stuff that's really dumb, that's like Sally put on a hat well done Sally and you're like oh my god my brain is gonna fall out of my ear so like it's not that it's kind of it's it's really smart writing it's really wholesome and um just really strange characters and quite a lot of the the episodes have just like kind of Coen Brothers endings you know it's like this it's not like the kind of mummy message at the end like where they've fed you the spoonful of sugar like okay I've learned not to lie it's just kind of like okay and now it's over and you're like what just happened you know but like that's why I like it they're just kind of off the wall funny strange little things so Nice. highly recommend check it out nice. and it's it's all like claymation too right like it's all and there's like cardboard and stuff like that it's all on glass i assume it's, it's yes so there's kind of paper craft backgrounds and elements and stuff i actually animated a petal falling off of a paper flower yesterday morning well friday morning and it's like how wonderful is that as a job just like a beautiful little yeah it's like yeah this is good but yeah so paper craft and uh plasticine on glass so a lot of the characters are shot basically on green screen but the background isn't green it's just white and then it's composited onto the backgrounds and this just helps with like making it look more beautiful and adding loads of parallax and stuff oh nice nice yeah. um how many people are working on this because like i'm just curious myself like you know it's a it's five minute episodes uh it's like very minimalistic uh the character designs are like very clean uh, and the animation's beautiful as well. How many people are working on this, like in total, I guess? I think the whole crew is about 20, but we're, we're oh. split across like, so there's the actual production site in Christchurch where we make the show and then we have um, other producers and sound recording and stuff happens in Wellington, production happens in Auckland. So it's kind of a cross New Zealand thing, but we have uh, seven animators and then a team of compositors as well. And the compositing was happening in Canada uh, for the first series, I believe, but they they brought in in-house compositors and that's just made it a lot easier in terms of, you know, time zones and stuff like that. It's helped yeah. the workflow a lot. Nice. Seven animators. That's that's like a that's like a very small, tight-knit team. I like that a lot. And only 20 people. That's yeah. that's that's pretty cool. How did okay, yeah. so how did so you're in UK? How did you end up in New Zealand working on this show when there's so many productions going on in the UK? You know, have Ardman, et cetera, like <laughs> why why did they take you over I don't know whoever is in New Zealand who can be available to animate some elephant trunks in clay versus <laughs> well, like we're gonna we're gonna bring this we're gonna bring Laura we're gonna help her out with her visa like etc cetera, etc cetera. like why how did that happen well there's not really a stop motion industry in New Zealand so we are the only studio here 
Um, and in order to get me the visa, they had to prove that there wasn't anyone in New Zealand that could do my job. So they actually advertised it a couple of times, left the advert up for weeks. And, you know, there wasn't anyone who had the skill set because, you know, within stop motion, there's like different skill sets. You know, there's uh, I listened to your episode of the guy who's doing the paper craft stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's other people who specialize in the pixelation or, you know, the kind of animating coffee beans, whereas I specialize in, I guess, claymation, character animation. And that's like a whole other subset. Of, of skills so it's kind of sculpt through animation as opposed to we do have a couple of replacements but mostly it's like every time they talk every time there's lip sync like we're sculpting those expressions oh wow crazy um yeah and i learned those skills on my first job which was chuck Steele, might of the trampires which I have i'm wearing so the hoodie right now oh nice i have so <laughs> many questions about chuck Steele, but we'll get to those <laughs> okay sure um but yeah so i guess that's why me um, and also, so you, you know, you knew somebody there or you saw the job and you applied. Yeah. So I had a few of my friends had already gone over to work. So there's um, Max and Rob had already come over. My friends, James Carlisle has been working here for about two and a half years. And then also Samuel, um, Samuel Lewis um, is here as well. So, I mean, stop motion is so tiny. Like, I don't think I've moved to a production and not known anyone like since my first job. Okay. Like you just, you move somewhere and then you immediately know at least a few people so yeah I already knew about this production um I'd emailed Anthony a few times beforehand and um you know but for me a lot of the decision making was based around Covid as well because um I don't know if you know the situation of Covid in the UK has not been a great response and there's been you know hundreds of thousands of deaths and it's been a really horrible time for like the past two years as opposed to New Zealand which did it right you know they they shut down early and they've had very few deaths comparatively and so, you know, for me, it was the chance to move somewhere where I could be living like a normal life for a little while and to, yeah, just like there've been whole days when I haven't worn a mask and I've completely forgotten about COVID. Oh, nice. And that's, that's just golden. You know? I, well, Toronto's not, well, Canada's not that great either. And I really wish that was here because like yeah. I went to the park today and like, you know, you're wearing a mask on the streetcar and not everybody's wearing it, and there's like people coughing and you're like, yeah anyways um (laughs) so okay I feel like um we need to go over some of your career highlights you (laughs) because let's dial it back a bit so you mentioned Chuck Steele was the first thing and now Carrie Lou's the second thing but give me give me some highlights of uh what you've worked on over the years uh okay I'll just rattle through them as a real quick um where I came from so I did the same thing as you which is making weird stop-motion films on my bedroom floor and uploading them to YouTube And then I went to university at the University of the West of England, studied animation for three years. Um, And then I went on to the Ardman NFTS certificate in character animation course. So that's basically like a three month condensed course um, where you just like full on learn like the super basic stuff that you should have learned at uni, but for whatever reason didn't because you were busy learning how to be a human and how to do your own laundry. Is that in stop motion too, or just in general character animation? They do it in stop motion and CG. So it's run at the same time and you kind of learn um concurrent yeah it's great it's it's a really good course um i think they're doing some online stuff now but um that's uh, due to covid but i think when when they can they'll do some in-person courses again so yeah i did that and then off the back of that i managed to get a job as a runner on chuck Steele. and what that is a was... runner what is it like an assistant uh so i i don't know if it's like a live action term but it's like it's the person who goes to get the coffee it's like it's the lowest person uh, in the studio like you're, you're just there you're learning 
you're literally like running about, you're going to buy materials, you're changing the bins, you're asking if you want coffee, that kind of thing. But, you know, I was, whenever I had free time, then I would be in the puppet studio learning how to sculpt because I didn't know how to sculpt at that point. And it's a sculpt through stop motion plasticine film, right? So it's quite a key yeah. uh, skill to learn. And so part of the caveat of giving me the job saying, okay, well, if you learn how to sculpt, then we'll promote you to, you know, maybe give you some animated shots once you're good enough. So I learned how to sculpt <laughs> uh, in between, you know, changing bins and all that other stuff. Uh, and then I worked my way up through that job, um, which ended up being a three year film. Um, and then at the end of that, I was kind of, I was a full animator and I'm really, really proud of all the work that I did on that wow. in the animation department. Um, so yeah, that finished. And then I was able to jump onto the end of um, Early Man, which was shooting at the same time. And then after that I'd finished, I jumped onto the end of Isle of Dogs. So a lot of that was good luck because, you know, there were three features shooting in the UK at the same time. And so, you know, animators at that time were like gold dust, you know, and people were kind of clamoring to, to get animators on their jobs. So that was great, but there's always this kind of like feast and famine uh, ebb and flow of stop motion. And so after that, I was pretty burnt out after like, you know, nearly three and a half years of like intense feature animation. I went and did some volunteering in India for two months with an organization called VSO. That was great. It was good to just like ground myself in real life for a little while, like, you know, not being in your dark box. Um, and then I went on to do kind of puppet making and commercial animation for a little bit with uh, my partner is Josh Flynn, who's one half of Sculpt Double. So his twin brother is Nathan Flynn. They both work together making puppets for feature films, commercials, anyone who wants to hire them, they'll make them a nice puppet. Um, worked in China. I was on Shaun the Sheep at some point. So that was Shaun the Sheep series six um, uh, at Ardman again. So that was really cool to be asked back there. And oh yeah, and I was on Robin Robin as well at the end of last year, beginning of this year. So like, you know, they offered me the job on Kiri and Lou in September, but because of like visa problems, it's really hard to get into New Zealand at the moment because the borders are closed. So they needed to get a visa exemption. Um, they needed to get a visas separate to the visa exemption. Spaces in managed isolation, which is like the hotel quarantine. Like it was a whole thing. Wow. Um, and so it was six months before I was able to come out here. And in that time I was working on Robin Robin, which is a half hour Christmas short um, directed yeah. by Dan Ojari and Mikey Please. And I was, I was so happy to work on that because, you know, I've really loved Mikey's work for a long time, like Eagleman Stagg and Marilyn Miller, like kind of some short films that I really admire. So it was amazing to work with those guys. And then, yeah, a couple more commercials and now I'm in New Zealand. Wow. Here we are. What, what a crazy <laughs> ride. You like uh, started out really strong. Like you graduated university and then immediately took a character animation course. Like I remember the yeah. first time I graduated university, and I was like, I don't want to look at school or think about school for another 10 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I just knew that my reel wasn't like very strong, you know, and I so you, you knew stuff. exactly what you wanted. Like, did you in, in yeah. when you were in uni the first time uh, you were mm -hmm. studying stop motion specifically or just or just animation? It's just an animation course, but I specialized in stop motion. Oh, okay. And like, so, you know, I chose that university because they have a good stop motion department and also they have strong links to Ardman because obviously they're both in the same city and Ardman only take interns from three UK universities. I think it's, yeah, my university. So UE is one of the Bournemouth ones and then possibly Edinburgh. I'm not sure. So if even if but, you, you know, have I chose... natural drive and talent, they're not going to take you? <laughs> well, they, they might do. That was the case back then, you know, um, but... 
you know, there are now a lot more people who have learned stuff online and are self-starters. And, you know, if you're able to kind of demonstrate that stuff and they'll take you, but, you know, also that helped me to get onto the character animation course, which was, you know, quite competitive to get onto. So I was only the second year. Yeah, I was part of the second year that that ran, but like the first year, the alumni from that went on to do amazing stuff. So everyone was like, damn, we want to get onto this course, you know? Yeah. Um, but the fact that they already knew me and they not, you know, I'm not saying that I was ever like incredibly talented. It's, it's just like, it's just literally hard work and practice and patience, but it's having like the space to do that because, you know, stop motion takes a lot of resources sometimes. And I can understand yeah. why people would kind of get frustrated if you're working with kit that keeps uh, falling over or, you know, bad rigs. Like I hate, Bad rigging is like the bane of all student stop motion. Like just invest in like a good armature, you guys. Like you will you will thank yourselves yeah, for it. Totally. That's that's like a big thing, right? Because like, how do you even practice getting good at animation if you don't even have access to like a or the money that you need to purchase an amazing armature and get rigs and stuff like that? Like, do you think that because you're able to jump onto Chuck Steel, which is like a crazy production in itself, like the animation is insane. Uh, I just have to ask you, so there's like shots, like the whole thing is like crazy, but there's shots where there's like probably 25 puppets all at once. Are they all composited or are they all being animated at the same time? Like, cause some of it does not look like it can be composited. Uh, it depends which shot you're talking about. If there's only 25 in the shot, easy. Yeah, they're all in one shot. Like we had some insane crowd shots, um, but the, there's there's a whole section of the film. I'm not sure exactly how much I'm allowed to say, but there's there's a very large crowd shot in an arena type space. And that was done kind of stadium stand by stadium stand yeah. in passes. And there was a guy called uh, Paul Thomas who was animating that for like three months just on background crowds. Oh was, and he was having to set climb for the whole thing. like Animating every character too by himself. Yeah, yeah. There's no like CG background characters that are all no but real, you didn't you even know? have like multiple animators so he was like keeping track of like the arcs and movements and character what happens mm. and everything for like every yeah. character in that scene that's insane <laughs> i mean you know it's a lot easier now we have like a digital workflow like if we were talking about back in the days when it was cinema cameras and shooting on film yeah that's insane but you know we have dragon frame we have you know, Listen, it's, a lot, it's and... a lot easier now, but it's still insane. Like, I, I've had <laughs> yeah, to animate yeah. like three char three or four characters at once. And like, I'll forget for like two frames to animate one of the characters <laughs> where they're supposed to go. And I'm like, oh my goodness, now I have to go back. Yeah, I mean, we, we have like... for sure all done that. But I guess I learned like when you're doing multiple characters, always do them in the same order. Like, mm. so if you've got them all in a row like go left to right or you know just pick your pattern and don't deviate from that otherwise for sure you'll forget something oh my gosh my strategy is to animate the hardest one first because if <laughs> i animate everybody else and then screw up the hardest one first and have to dial it back it's so annoying to be like now i gotta unwalk these four characters because i uh, miss uh. the whatever but i don't know it's yeah. i guess i'm still i'm still clearly learning <laughs> that's interesting like if you have like a plate of food do you eat the thing that you enjoy the most first or last last yeah same <laughs> so i i eat the delayed I'm gratification like, that's stop motion like, <laughs> yeah i'm like i don't like these vegetables they're like let's let's get rid of them first <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> versus exactly. like 
one bite of each thing in, in succession. In sequence. No, that's madness. <laughs> Isn't that what we're talking about with stop motion? <laughs> well, don't treat your puppets like you treat a plate of peas, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, there's, so, there's wisdom in there somewhere. You go through like three and a half years of super intense, like that's crazy. You were just like thrown in the gauntlet, like right up. Well, obviously you like worked really hard up on Chuck Steele. And then you were working on some of the craziest stop motion productions of like our last, like, I don't know, 10 years or whatever, like early man, Isle of Dogs, like how, and that's a pretty short amount of time to go. For, Cause so many people, you know, they spend years in TV animation, wanting to work in feature animation and can't quite get there, mm. et cetera. Like, how did that, feel and also like what was the thing driving you to push yourself so hard this whole time like um I don't know I a uh, bit of a work sadist I guess but um <laughs> okay like I, I mean yeah it is for sure like the wrong way around to do it as you say most people start in tv and work their way up to features and so I was really lucky to you know I was on three features back to back um and you know every day I was kicking myself thinking how lucky I was um but it's uh I think it's good like being thrown in the deep end for sure like Chuck was was all like deep end stuff like we didn't because it wasn't a huge crew we had to like learn how to rig so we we didn't have a rigging department like so I learned how to rig I now know how to do all that stuff whereas I wouldn't if I'd have started at a bigger studio for instance um you know we were ADing our own unit so we all had walkie-talkies and so I'd be like okay you know uh, is art department ready to come in because the lighting guys have finished or you know whatever needs doing so you know we were always on top of our own units um and that kind of it makes you learn really fast and it makes you kind of be across the whole production like it's not just at other larger places sometimes you are just expected to animate and when you're not animating you just have to sit there and wait and yeah. I find that really, really tricky sometimes yeah. because it's like, I just, I want to be doing something. Maybe it's like, because I've done years in retail and I have like, that kind I, of mentality. I can do the lighting. I can do the, yeah, the yeah. puppet. And I always want to look like I'm busy, even if there's like, even if I've done absolutely everything and all I need to do is sit there and wait, I still feel the need to look busy, which is exhausting sometimes, but yeah. yeah. But yes, I was, I was very lucky kind of going on the three features, but then, you know, I'm kind of having to unlearn those insane insanely high levels of animation quality sometimes like because it's not appropriate for a tv series so you know when i was on sean the sheep that is still like a high quality tv series it's like kind of seven seconds a day um as opposed to you know feature film is about three seconds a day chuck Steele because it was sculpt through uh facial animation it was like if it was a close-up on one of the main characters we were doing like eight frames a day you know so you have to kind of temper these expectations and make sure that you're hitting those quality. How marks. do you not so, get the clay dirty or dusty? When I'm, that's like a big question yeah. for me. Cause like every, like even like my silly duck wizard, like if you look at him, his face over the course of one minute, there's dust yeah. covering it. It's gross. He gets stubble, right? <laughs> yeah, he gets stubble and he's growing yeah. a beard. But yeah. He grows a beard. Uh, you're just constantly cleaning. How? Basically, like, like, what do you? Is there a solution you use? Like, like I don't know, rubbing alcohol uh, and plasticine. Like, I've never even tried. I don't even know what to ask. So, uh, the first thing you try and do, like, if you see like a big obvious bit of crud in there, you pick it out with either a scalpel blade or a tool or whatever, and you smooth it over. If there's like big seams of it, like if you get like veins almost of like dirt, then it is worth like digging all of that out and resurfacing. Yeah. You can use lighter fluid, and that will kind of take off like a thin layer on the top of the plasticine so it is good 
um, but it can make it kind of sticky. So you just have oh. to like be careful when you use that because then obviously it attracts more dirt. Um, you can kind of, the opposite of lighter fluid is um, talcum powder. So you use that to kind of um, dust it on. So it's like an invisible layer. So if, if like dirt tries to land on it, there's already like an invisible layer on there and you kind of, it blows off rather than, yeah, there's, there's like a whole art to it. And um, also, also I, I should note that the lighter fluid is carcinogenic. I'm telling you that because no one told me for the first four years of working with this stuff. So use it carefully. And it's your, your hands are like, your fingertips are like gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a pineapple worker. I have no fingerprints anymore. Are you, um, how do you, so like you're touching it with your fingers. Are you wearing gloves? Cause like my hands get so dirty in stop motion cause I'm touching tools. I'm touching all this stuff all the time. The puppets, fabric, like yeah. your hands just get so gross. Yeah, your hands do get gross. You just constantly kind of using baby wipes. Um, but again, trying not to use as many now because I know that they're mostly made out of plastic and it's not recyclable. So, um, you know, you're kind of constantly washing your hands, wiping them. Like in the studios, we have like big black kind of curtains made out of woolly stuff which if you touch that and then touch the puppet, you'll get black crap all over the puppet. So you open the curtains with your elbows. <laughs> you get oh quite goodness. used to doing this. Um, it's a good idea to wipe down your, your dragon keyboard and your mouse and everything. Like just try and keep all this stuff as clean as you can. And yeah, like knowing that sometimes in between shots, you'll have to just like resurface a puppet, like scrape it back, like just cut off like a, a thin layer yeah. with a scalpel or scrape it and then you just smooth it out again. And it's, yeah, it's a lot of maintenance. So other but it depends than... on the job, like whether or not that's important or not. Chuck Steele, it was very important. Like the director was very uh, picky about the cleanliness of it, even though we were also doing post cleanup on that. Whereas on Kiri and Lou, again, it being a TV series, the director isn't as bothered and the, the threshold is just like kind of slightly lower. Like as long as the, the character is, um, you know, doing what it should do and the emotions are on point, then that's the most important thing. Other than everything you just said, <laughs> are there other big differences with working with like clay over armatures versus like puppets on armatures? Like, cause like I've worked out with plasticine over like a homemade armature. And sometimes when you bend it, the metal, like the, the arm like doesn't move with the metal. And now you have to like yeah. re-sculpt the whole arm on like, I, I don't know, is there is there like tips and tricks or whatever for this type of stuff? I'm just curious. Um, I would say only use plasticine when when you absolutely have to like if you can use anything else then do because so it's whole, not if chuck steel where everything's plasticine <laughs> you absolutely have to but otherwise don't do it yeah but the thing is it's not all plasticine like all of right. their clothes are Underneath like actual the clothes, clothes. Just like, yeah, yeah. yeah the hands look like plasticine but it's not it's silicon that's color matched to the plasticine mm. on the head the heads have head cores and the plasticine is only like a couple mil thick you know uh, to try and keep yeah. it on model and stuff and is it like a lot that of the as stuff, well yeah, yeah. So like early man, um, a lot of the football players are um, cavemen. And so they're constantly like running about in football kits that have like short t-shirts and, and shorts. And so you think that their arms and legs are plasticine, but it's not. It's that they've sculpted and molded and cast out silicon things that look like plasticine. They have like deliberate thumb marks to make it look like plasticine. It's not. It's silicon because otherwise you'd spend so much time constantly re-sculpting. But the faces generally are plasticine. But then you'll give yourself like grab points on the head so that you're not like mushing it like if if you had like a bold puppet and it's all plasticine and then you grab it like that it's going to like depress on the side of the head right and you don't want yeah. that so you make a wig cap out of something that will go solid like mini put and then that means that you're able to like grab it on the head and move it around without um you know mushing up the sculpt gosh there's just so many there's just so many ridiculous things 
when it comes to stop motion specifically like not only do you have to know animation but you have to know all this like ridiculous technical put up with all these crazy things oh, just yeah. insane so how do you like working on Curie and Loon now that there's like no armatures it's just on glass and you can just like shape you can just you can just shape clay I guess it's been a learning learning curve because it's it's kind of a two and a half D show I guess like mm. you're mostly working on like a two-dimensional plane and then but yeah. sometimes they kind of they turn their heads to camera and that means quite a lot of sculpting and like some replacements to like make that fake work so like any 3D stuff is all faking um that movement um it is fun like you get to kind of focus on um on just like the expressions and stuff yeah um yeah have there, thinking back just like over your career, have there, have there been any like things that stood out or like skills you learned that really helped you up your game or like things people have said to you or whatnot that like have stuck with you that you remember when you're animating? Like for me, like, you know, I just, I just came off my first professional gig and like, I learned so much, but mm -hmm. like over thinking about your career, were there things that, I don't know, that changed how you work in a better way? Or just like snapped oh, and you sure got it. Are. Like there's there's just like little things that you realize along the way. So for instance, if you're trying to hit a deadline and you're trying to animate fast and you come out with a shot that, you know, okay, you hit the deadline, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. It's like production will be happy with you, but the director won't be happy with yeah. you. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if if they're crewing up for another gig, it's the director who makes kind of those decisions. So most of the time the or like the animation director not necessarily screw the deadline be mindful of the deadline do your best and like and don't apologize if you don't hit that deadline because there's always reasons for it right it's not that i am slacking off it's not that i'm not working really hard it's that maybe something about the rigging makes it really difficult or something about the brief makes it really tricky to to hit that deadline so do you do you like say you're like halfway through a shot and you're like oh shit this is due tomorrow and I still need two days left you go to your stage and be like hey production just FYI these are reasons beyond my control or maybe just I'm having a hard time with this I need more time etc or do you just like push through and try to do your best and then the I don't know somebody comes in they're it's like you done your shot and you're like give me more time. <laughs> So at Ardman, the assistant director will come in and kind of ask you at about kind of 3 or 4 p.m. every every day, like when you think you'll finish your shot. And so at that point, you can say, OK, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm on time. Like, I'll finish it by 2 p.m. tomorrow. Or actually, no, this is taking a lot longer. Um, you know, it might be two more days. And at which point, you know, they might ask you like, OK, well, how can we make it easier for you? You know, yeah. that's what I really love about stop motion. And some people don't like this aspect of it but it's actually the teamwork and I never thought that I would say that especially when I was in uni and I was doing group projects and I'm the only one doing any work and it's like oh my god this is a nightmare but actually once you get into a professional setting everyone is there because they are good at their job they've worked really hard to be good at their job and so it's like it's not my problem it's our problem and I can call in other departments to help me work out that problem yeah, you know yeah. um so you told me before that you are well maybe you could tell me now what are you actively working towards right now so you're you're an animator right now but where what is your like you know um you've been doing this for quite a few years do you have a overarching goal a career goal or just like a creative goal you're trying to achieve yeah so i i kind of want two things i want to be a superstar animator but i also want to move into you directing, already are a you know. superstar animator. no 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 i'm not <laughs> 
not, there's always you know more to learn and stuff and you know I've always wanted to work um at like hey, you're a very humble superstar animator <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so I'm I'm trying to kind of always improve I guess uh yeah so I, I I'd like to work at like as an animator just because I know that it kind of it takes all your skills to the next level yeah and like all of the resources at your disposal there okay well, um, but yeah before you tell me about the second thing, um, what does it take to, so like, for instance, you worked on Isle of Dogs, which is like a super world-class renowned animation, amazing stop motion thing. And Ardman, mm -hmm. which is like world-class animation as well. Like why could, if you were applying to Laker right now, do you think you'd have a good chance to get in one of their productions? Or do you still feel like you need to up your game in some aspects to get there? I mean, there's always stuff you could learn, but I think a big hurdle for many people is the visa. Yeah. And so in order to work in America, there's a certain visa you have to get, which means that you have to demonstrate that you are better than any American at that job, that they have searched through all of the people in America and that they can't find anyone who can do that job. And therefore, they're allowed to hire someone externally. Um, and so, you know, there's obviously a very high threshold for that. And, and rightly so, you know, you shouldn't be taking jobs from people who live there. And so you have to kind of really get together a lot of different credits from different productions and, and prove yourself. So, you know, that's kind of what I've been doing since I started is, is getting together those credits to prove that I can do it and that I am worth the hassle of, you know, all the border stuff and, and everything yeah. else um, in order to do that. So it's not always just a case of animation skill, you know, uh, you know, international politics come into play and which country you happen to be from, whether or not their, uh, their countries are friends with, the American right. peoples at that time, you know, all of that plays into it. Have you um, attempted to to work at Leica as of yet, or are you still kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, brewing? Is that the right word? <laughs> I've I've had some conversations with people there, and I kind of I know what stuff that I need to demonstrate and to work on. And you know, I think I probably do have those skills at this time, but I haven't had the time to literally like get into a test animation booth to show it gotcha. you know so you you so what are, if you don't mind me asking what are what is one thing that you uh need to work on to to get there well i need to be able to demonstrate like kind of subtle acting on ones which mm. you know i'd say that i do have that stuff from chuck Steele, but because chuck Steele isn't out i'm not allowed to use any of that stuff on my showreel which is uh right. quite frustrating but so you know i i was allowed you know, after I worked on Shaun the Sheep, I asked whether or not I could go back there and just like have a puppet and a test unit um, and, you know, just do some animation. And they're really kind enough to let me do that wow. for a couple of weeks. That was in March 2020. Uh, so I only had a couple of weeks before I had to then leave and everyone went home for a very long time. Um, but, you know, it's it's just about being able to kind of demonstrate things. It's a checkbox, you know, can you do runs? Can you do crowd shots? Can you do emotional acting? Um, can you do it on singles? You know, because my current showreel, I'm aware that a lot of it, or well, most of it is on doubles. And so in terms of demonstrating that skill, I don't have it, um, I haven't demonstrated it yet. So yeah, it's just a case of like getting the time to hmm. plan out animations and, and get it on the reel. Have you considered doing their internship? Like, would you, if if you did their internship, would you would do the necessary exercises that they want to see to to work full time there? I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, I believe that the Leica internships were only open to people who were in education and possibly only people in education in America. Ah. I might be wrong about that. Whenever I've looked, that that's been the case. I know that sometimes okay. they do have certain schemes from other countries. Um, uh, 
this is just random. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Would it make sense to like work, like get hired at a different studio in the States just to be there on a visa and then apply to Leica? Yeah, yeah, for sure it would. Um, so there's three, I believe there's three features shooting in Portland at the moment, but they're all quite kind of late stage productions. And like, I'm I'm aware that, you know, I'm, I'm busy here for at least yeah, another yeah. six months. <laughs> So there's not going to work out timing wise. Um, and you know, like get to America and you're like, I'm still on a job here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, the other productions there that I've seen that are kind of longer running have tended to be like TV shows. And again, I think it might be difficult from a visa perspective to justify bringing in someone else to work on a TV show. Yeah. Whereas, you know, because there's a slightly lower level of animation required, you could probably get Americans to do to fill those roles. So this leads me to a question which I kind of have about because like, from my perspective, looking at your work, like you've done absolutely amazing stuff. Like I remember, actually, I think I became aware of your work when you did that Skillshare class with like fire and stuff, uh, which is really cool. But like, do you reach a level of, I guess, talent or skill where you are sought after uh, versus like a grinding to get those jobs? Like I know a lot of it is connections as well. And does that play into this sought after versus grinding? Like yeah it's it is all who you know unfortunately um and that sounds really depressing but you know it is as easy as getting an internship somewhere or you know um even like knowing that someone who works at a studio is maybe freelancing at another studio and maybe you can get work experience at that other studio in order for that person to know you to then recommend you for a junior position or something like that It, it really is like just the first foot in the door is the hardest part everything after that point just kind of started snowballing for me. How did you get your internship at Chuck of, uh, Chuck of Steel, Chuck Steel, <laughs> Chuck Steel in the first place? Cause like, I'm just wondering, you know, say I'm listening to this right now and I'm like, you know, I want to be like Laura when I grow up, how do I even get an internship where I can like learn so much on the job? Well, I, I managed to get an internship on Sean the Sheep movie, the first one. So that was at Ardman. And that's kind of when I started to get to know people. And again, that was kind of because of my university's connections. But, you know, I'd chosen my university specifically because I knew they had those connections. But it doesn't have to be, you don't have to plan four years in advance. You know, you can just find out what is shooting at the time. And quite often there'll be training schemes. You know, in the UK, there's something called screen skills um, and they help uh, everyone in the UK screen sector. There's like training funds. You can go on courses and they'll pay for them. They'll help you get kit and they'll help you get placements. Yeah. on different productions as well so in, in each country there'll usually be some kind of like national film board check yeah. those out first because they are going to be able to like you know talk to the producers of the big films and sort those out as opposed to like just an individual being like hey i really like animation can i come up on your film it's quite difficult to get someone's attention totally and like that was my whole thing when i was like coming out of high school looking for work i was just like phone book i literally went in the phone book and i was like what animation studios are there and i was like searching <laughs> yeah. under a like animation there was like nothing i don't even know what animation studios were called and like i found a couple and called them and whatever and they're like oh you're just you're like 17 years old calling me like goodbye <laughs> like, so yeah. like, it makes it makes total sense like there are so many resources it's just like you, you need to like put yourself out there talk to people who yeah kind of have some in already and get some advice I guess and and just yeah yeah and it doesn't even have to be in like the role that you want or even in the department that you want like I did a lot of work experience at university in 2D which I knew that I wasn't I didn't want to be a 2D animator but those connections have since 
paid off for me later on. You know, I worked with a guy called uh, Sam Morrison who ran Evil Genius Studios. I did some work with him. And, you know, he's recently uh, been helping me script edit on my short film, you know, and he works at Ardman. And like, it's, it's a whole ecosystem, you know, like the animation worlds in each different city, each different country, generally they'll know each other, even if they're not like, oh, I'm a CG person, I'm a stop motion person. We don't talk to each other. Of course yeah, they talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. Um, uh, Before you, well, anyways, just backtracking a little bit. You went to India to volunteer for a couple of months and you said you reached a level of burnout. Like, can you talk me through how it felt to feel burnt out from your dream? And, <laughs> and did that fuel your decision to like take a big break? Um, yeah, it did. I mean, it was kind of a calculated break because I knew at that point that all three features in the UK had finished. And so there probably wasn't going to be a lot of work around at the time. So, you know, you choose when you, when you take your holidays, but, um, yeah, I mean, for sure burnout is real and working on features can be like brutal. It depends on the job as to what the hours are, but they can be like, what do you, you mean know, brutal? like uh just in terms of time like it is all work and no play sometimes even if it is like your favorite job it's like you know those like uh <laughs> like freshman like beer things that they do with the funnel and they yeah. put the beer in yeah, and, yeah but imagine the beer is animation it's like oh you like animation <laughs> have some more animation you're just like Rawr. like i don't no please stop like i just need a break um so you know, you're, like, you're working just... <laughs> long hours every day and like weekends yes. and like yes yeah and um you know, just like physical tiredness, like so what happens, animating okay, so for like, eight, 10 hours a day, it's, it's physically tiring. Yeah, of course. But what if you're like, listen, I'm already working 10 hours a day. I want to take mm. Friday afternoons off. Like, is that, is that not allowed? Like, could you even say that? Like, is that even a thing? Like, cause you're like, listen, my mental health, my physical health, like, like mm. productions behind, I'm working extra hours, but I personally can't, like, I want to take a scale step back. Like, can you say that? It's tricky because I think it depends on your your kind of level of seniority as to how acceptable that is sometimes. And it shouldn't be, you know, because people of all ages yeah. have, you know, mental health problems or whatever. But, you know, when I spoke up and said that I needed to take time off to go and see like a counsellor, they were totally fine with me doing that, you know, and they didn't make me work the hours back and that was fine. Um, and, you know, I think it's getting better now. I think since the pandemic, it's not so much that you can work from home, although I guess some management people could work from home um but you know some people have kids and they they work kind of reduced hours and they go and pick up their kids after school you know so they only work till like kind of 3 p.m and that's been the case for years and years now and I don't think that's like held those people back necessarily yeah. but they are quite senior members of the animation team so so what are you doing now if, if you're doing something to like manage you know not reaching burnout or like you know keeping this going for the long run I mean, I think I've just become better at realizing when I'm becoming burnt out. Like, I think especially on the commercials that we've done puppet making for, we will have periods of like maybe three days at the end where we're just not sleeping. We'll do three all-nighters back to back and then we'll get a coach to London and then we will start work on the actual commercial doing the maintenance. And I was, I, I just became like physically sick. I couldn't, I just got like a crazy migraine. Like I couldn't do anything. And that was because I was just completely exhausted. And so I just had yeah. to go back to the Airbnb and lie down. Um, you know, I came back to work the next day and felt a lot better having just slept, you know. But I, I'm aware of when, if I start getting a headache, you know, that headache will lead to nausea if I don't stop working. You know, if you, I mean, everyone kind of knows this stuff, but it's when you've actually had those adverse reactions on set publicly in front of everyone, you're like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you start feeling a headache and you're like, okay, I need to, I need to like go home, take, yeah. a, take a rest, pop some Advil. Yeah, like exactly. I mean, I was, so I went and did a, like a talk. Was it a talk? No, it was, I was giving feedback at a university and this was in the middle of when we were doing a puppet build for a commercial and I'd driven to Bristol to do it. So, you know, that's like an hour's drive. I got there quite early in the morning and I could just feel myself like not feeling great, you know, and I, I had like a headache and I was like, you know, they're paying me to be here. I'm a professional. I'm going to just power through, you know, I was going and throwing up in between seeing every student. Oh my goodness. And just coming back out and pretending I was fine and then giving feedback, you know, like don't let it get to that level. And that's because wow. I hadn't slept properly. You know, I was working all hours of the day. And so, yeah, that was like a couple of weeks before the same thing happened on the same commercial when we t- take them to London. And, you know, I just felt unwell. So I think it's for me realizing that I don't have infinite levels of energy. Like when you're a student, like I'm, I'm such like a yes man. Like I always have been. And having that um, mentality of like wanting to, yeah, sure, I'll do work experience for you. Yeah, okay, I'll take on this job. Yeah, yeah, yeah and never wanting to say no to people. And the realization that you are actually just like at the base of it, like a human who needs like sleep and food. (laughs) Your health is like, please say yes to me once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like don't take on the job that's gonna take up all of your weekend and pay you like 10 pounds, you know? Yeah. So these are important lessons. Have you, so like, okay, say you're, um, it's, maybe it's not your situation now, but like say you're working in a studio and they're like, listen, we need you to work 12 hour days and weekends. And they're really pressuring you, like productions coming in all the time, being like, is your shot done? Is your shot done? Can you work this weekend? How are you managing? Are you managing that? How are you saying no, but also yes, you know, because you don't want to be that person who's like not part of the team anymore, even though it's like kind of a toxic thing. But at the same time being like, listen, I need to take care of myself. And also this is not, you know, this is not something that's healthy for any of us it can be tricky having those conversations and it depends who you're talking to and whether or not they are understanding of that. I mean, a couple of times when I've had to do like, you know, working till 9 PM every night and working weekends, I kind of went into that job knowing that that's what that was because they're at the end of a project and that, you know, I'm young ish and I don't have kids and I'm able to do those overtime hours and, you know, they pay you for them. So I kind of, and I was fine doing that. You know, I think it's difficult when it's a longer project. So there were definitely times um, on Chuck when we were behind um, because it was a sculpt through animation process and so you know we were all just working half hour lunches we were trying to do extra time whenever we could and knowing that there wasn't an end to that it's just like we are perpetually behind it gives you this kind of like oh my god is this my life now kind of feeling um, so I think having like defined periods of overtime and then having a defined time when that will finish is yeah. really useful like from a production perspective for everyone to know where they stand you know um and you know so a couple a couple months ago here I just I got my first cold in like two years which was terrifying because you know COVID has meant that we wash our hands constantly and whatever and I was like oh my god I'm gonna die like honestly this cold knocked me out for like a month it was awful so I wasn't able to do any overtime it was just me like dragging myself into work and I was able to do my day's work but I wasn't able to do anything on top of that and I think people were understanding of that you know um it's those conversations happen on a on an individual basis and you just have to navigate them at the time i guess gosh okay that makes sense um let's start talking about your dream that you're working on right now because that's really exciting (laughs) for me so can you tell me a little bit more about that and what you're doing so i would like to move into directing why Um, 
<laughs> why oh god that's a hard question <laughs> well for me for the longest time I didn't think that stories that I came up with or that I told were worth telling and I thought that you know why would anyone want to listen to anything that I've come up with because I have like a documentary filmmaking background as well and I always thought like you know reality is stranger than fiction like why would anyone care about some crappy story that I've come up with, you know? But I realized that that was coming from like a place of fear and feelings of inadequacy and that, and also working as an animator for both for good directors and for directors who maybe weren't so great, gave me the confidence to say, you know what? I think I can do this, <laughs> you know, if You're they like, can do it, this for sure I can sucks. do this. I can do a better job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I just want to really challenge myself to do that. Um, I went and did uh, the interview process for the NFTS MA in directing animation, which is like, it's an amazing course. It's a two year course just in directing animation and the stop motion stuff that comes out of there or all the animation that comes out of there, it was amazing. Um, in the end, I didn't end up doing that course, but I think going through it and seeing what it took was kind of a real catalyst for me. And then I applied um, for some short film funding from Film Cymru Wales, which is kind of an offshoot of the BFI in the UK. And I ended up getting that funding. So I'm currently making a short film uh, in the shed here while also working full time. Um, and with like huge props to my partner, Josh, because he is doing a huge amount of the work here um, at the moment. Cause you know, obviously I'm working on Kiri and Lou and then he's out in the shed like today, we're clearing out the shed. The shed is becoming a studio. And so it's an exciting day. So, yeah. so you felt compelled to tell your own stories for a very long time. Like you have ideas, you have, you have stories in your mind and you want to put them out there. And then you got the confidence from working in the industry to be like, listen, the stories that yeah. I'm compel being compelled to tell, I can realize them. And then your path or strategy to become a director was to uh, take this course and then apply to a fund to make your own film. Well, I ended up not doing the MA, but it was kind of like when I when I got the email saying that I hadn't got a place on the course, I kind of decided to do it anyway, yeah. <laughs> just by myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's good. It's it's really difficult because it's like, what is the point of film? What is the worth of short film or short animation? Like why would someone put themselves through like two years of working in a shed by themselves for no money? And it's, it's a, a question that I grapple with a lot, but it's like, whenever I see an amazing short animation, it completely like blindsides me. And I just think, oh my God, like this person, they, they get it, you know? And yeah. you're like, it really gives you like a human connection to another human being that you have never met. Like, and I, I can't remember who I'm quoting here, but film as like an empathy machine. And I think that's really important, you know, when wow. like everyone is so divided and like increasingly more and more divided, it's like it's showing someone a story from someone else's perspective. Totally. And well, storytelling you know. is like as old as time itself. Um, yeah. What is so I, I love this that you're doing this. I think that's that's phenomenal. And I love that you're like making stuff in your shed that to me, that's like that's like storytelling at its heart. You know, like, you know, you have big productions like Pixar, Disney, et cetera. And there's hundreds of people working on it. But like for me, like the sweet spot of like film is when you know that somebody is like crafted this themselves and put their heart and soul into it and you can like feel that when you watch it um what maybe a weird question but like what is success to you from this process like I feel like you've already hit success because you wanted to become a director and now you're directing something but like 
obviously you're putting yourself through this to see it through to the end. What is mm. success? Is it, do you want to, you know, become known for directing and then work on TV shows and films directing or continue to direct short film or just like go to the festival circuit and yeah. see how that, like, what is it? What is this? What is success for you? Um, I mean, I think I see this film as like a stepping stone to bigger things. And that's kind yeah. of, that was kind of the brief of the funding as well, actually, is like wanting to develop people eventually towards features. Um, you know, specifically like they want Welsh features because it's Welsh funding. Yeah. Um, and so it is a Welsh film. There's a little bit of Welsh language in there as well. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, I'd love to direct features one day. Like that's a big lofty ambition. Like when you um, say direct features, like uh, stop motion features? Stop motion features. But also I think just in terms of thinking about how long a stop motion feature takes and how long a human lifespan is, uh, it might be a good idea to do some live action stuff as well. <laughs> just, right. but also, okay, just so I like, can tell as many stories that I want to. You know, I need like 10 lifetimes to do everything that I want to do. So this, but this is interesting. You want to tell your own stories, but you want to become a director to do so. Why not a writer? Because like a director, a lot of directors aren't telling their own stories. They're, you know, they're just, they're um, hmm. creating the vision and executing it among the animators or the, the actors or whatnot versus and like working with the writer so like mm. where is 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 directing your sweet spot because it is so tied to like the animation and story at the same time like yeah I guess I don't see much of a distinction for me like a director is I guess a byword for writer director yeah um, I'd never really thought of directing other people's stories but you know that's probably a good idea because I find the process of story writing torturous like, <laughs> and, and revisions and stuff like I hate them but for sure like the draft that, I'm, that we have now it's the final draft is much better than the first one that we had like two years ago so um you know it's all a process but yes I mean you know at some point I'd love it if yeah people were coming to me with their stories and I was like this is an amazing story yes of course we'll help you tell it like that would be amazing as well it's just the, the short that I'm working on at the moment it's just a, an idea that's been kind of gestating in my head in like a really sporadic form for like years and I just need to get it out it's like it's a gestation and a birth and I need to get it out of my system <laughs> and then I will uh take stock and work out what I want to do after that <laughs> I love this I can you're so driven like you're working full-time in another country and you applied for funding and you're creating another film in your shed like this is this is I love this this is amazing you're this is this is phenomenal <laughs> <laughs> it would be a lot easier if we were making it in the UK because I have people yeah. who <laughs> owe me favors <laughs> yeah, so they're getting away like, scot-free right now exactly yeah. yeah um and you also have like this weird timeline looming over your head because you're only on this what you're only on this contract for like six months or something so you're like I have to get this done yeah now yeah. because then i have to pack up and move <laughs> everything exactly so i mean that's quite a good thing though because i mean a lot of some other people who've had this funding like these things have dragged on for like four years or something and i don't want it to be that like i said yeah, i want it to be yeah. a stepping stone i like being concise in animation yeah. like i do a lot of like pre-selection and i've helped organize uh, the cardiff animation festival or co-organize with a group of other people and you know we watch a lot a lot of films yeah. and i just think brevity you guys like don't have like a three minute intro before the title even comes totally. up like it just gonna, it drives me crazy so you know i i really want to tell a concise story you're going to be their example in the future they'll be like laura did hers in six months and it was concise and versus these <laughs> other guys they're still working on it it's been years like <laughs> well 
Amazing. Well, so, well, thank you for sharing your journey. You, you, you know, I've heard everything from the start to where you are now. Is there anything else that you wanted to kind of share maybe as we're wrapping up or like advice you want to bestow that helped you or just, I don't know, your, what you had for lunch? It's not even lunch there yet. <laughs> it's not even lunch time. What you're going to have for even... lunch. <laughs> oh man, I'm going to have a cheese and ham sandwich with hummus. Uh... <laughs> I'm trying to think of any, any wisdom that I have. I know there's some I get questions from students sometimes asking like you know how did you get to do what you're doing now how do I do that and really I think it is about yeah just getting to know people and that comes in the form of work experience internships um you know and really like fostering those connections yeah. people use the word networking and it, it sounds like such a dirty word and it sounds like that that scene in American Psycho where they're all like swapping business cards you know and like animation people aren't like that they're all like strange hunched over weirdos and and they're as awkward and weird, weird as you so don't be scared of them and talk to them they're nice and you know just make friends with people that's essentially what networking is like just make friends and be excited about other people's work talk to other people even if it is online you know even if COVID is forcing you to stay in your house right now like chat to the people on Instagram like you and me we didn't know each other and now we're just having a random conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> networking feels gross whereas just like having a chat that feels fine you know just have a chat I love that yeah. just have a chat you want to get to just know some people just have a chat I love it sure cool is there anything else you wanted to share as we're wrapping up uh can't think of anything don't eat yellow snow uh... don't eat yellow snow <laughs> do you even ever get snow in New Zealand <laughs> I mean, uh, there, from, there was so some like... on the mountains. Yeah, okay. we, we went to um, Auraki, uh Mount Cook a couple of weeks ago and there was there was some snow and then it got really, really cold and there was some ice on the footpath. We were just like sliding down, like making a human chain, trying not to fall over. That was really fun. So yes, there is snow here. I need to do some more exploring. It's like I came back from China having not left the city that we were in. Oh my god! And gosh. we were there for like two months. Yeah, so I need to actually get out and... Um, and see some of New Zealand. So if any of your listeners want to suggest some amazing stuff to do, I'm based on the South Island, let me know. <laughs> okay, so have a chat, go out yeah. and explore. Love it. <laughs> yes, do something other than animate. <laughs> and do something other than your dream of animating. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Laura, for coming on the chat. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. I'm so happy we chatted. No worries. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And if you're listening and you want to get in touch with or follow Laura, you can do so by reaching out to her Instagram, which is Laura Tofaridis. Did I say that right? Close, close. Laura Tofaridis, yeah. Laura Tofaridis, or her website, which is lauratofaridis.co.uk. And I'll include both those links in the description of this chat. And thank you so much for listening. And that's all for now. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.